Hello and welcome. I'm Franco, editor of PropMoto. This podcast is part of our MetaTrends campaign, where we try to uncover the big trends affecting innovation in the built world. In this series of podcasts, I talk to some of the investors helping move the property industry down its often bumpy path towards innovation. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out the other three in the series. Thanks. Investors are forced to think about their time horizons. A good investment in the short run could turn out to be a bad one over a long enough time span. The way an investor perceives time changes depending on what type of investment they make. Day traders are only worried about the immediate future, what could happen in the next few days and weeks. Venture investors, the ones that make bets on young companies, take a much longer view of their investment timeline. They pour money into companies knowing they might not be profitable for years or even decades. This is similar to the time horizon of people who invest in buildings. A good building can be useful, and therefore profitable, for hundreds of years. Short-term speculation certainly happens, but many property owners planning on holding their assets until hell or high water, whichever comes first. It is exactly for that reason, to avoid either hell or high water, that any investor looking into the distant future has to address one of the biggest threats, climate change. We are currently on a path that the scientific community sees as unsustainable. The carbon-based gases being trapped in our atmosphere are causing global temperatures to rise, bringing with it droughts, severe storms, and a rising sea level. High water, if you will. Our buildings, and our energy consumption inside of them, is the main source of greenhouse gas emissions. Clearly, our path to a more sustainable future runs through the property industry. The massive push, both culturally and politically, to reduce our carbon footprint has put pressure on much of the built world to become more efficient and less resource intensive. The opportunity that tech has to help the property industry innovate its way out of disaster did not go unnoticed by one of the biggest prop tech investors in the world, Fifth Wall. Fifth Wall has been able to raise massive funds and amass an investor list that includes some of the property industry's biggest players. Now they are raising a $200 million climate tech fund. And to help find the best way to deploy this money, both for their investors and for the world, they hired this guy. Hey, I'm Greg Smithies. I am a partner and co-head of the Climate Tech Fund at Fifth Wall. Most prop tech investors come from the real estate world. This isn't the case for Greg, who only got into the sector because he thought it was where he could make the most positive impact on decarbonization. I most recently came across from BMW iVentures where I founded their climate investing practice. And there I was very focused on decarbonization of manufacturing, supply chain, and transportation. Um, before that, I was in the Elon Musk world. I was at the Boring Company and at Neuralink. Uh, we were putting microchips into people's heads at uh, Neuralink and digging tunnels and selling flamethrowers at the Boring Company. Um, and I started my investing career at Battery Ventures um, focused on industrial tech. So uh, you should think of my background as very much sort of venture capital and operations inside these big industrial uh, sort of heavy large industries, which is very, very different from the vast majority of VCs who are, you know, sort of uh, software background, background type people. Um, and I came across to Fifth Wall specifically because I had been working on the decarbonization of transportation and two things happened. One is 
I had always thought that transportation was the largest opportunity to decarbonize um, the planet. You know, the best best path to decarbonize in the world was through transportation. And uh, I found out that actually transportation is only about 20% of the carbon problem and buildings are about 40% of it. So immediately I thought, oh, geez, maybe I'm spending my time in the wrong place. Um, and then also was just the size of the opportunity. So, so transportation globally is, you know, maybe a one, uh, call it one and a half trillion dollar market um, uh, all in, whereas buildings are a $270 trillion asset class. And we build, you know, somewhere between eight and $10 trillion worth of new buildings every single year. So personally, my goal is to try and help to decarbonize the planet as fast as possible. Um, and on both those aspects of size of market and size of the CO2 bogey to go after, uh, the real estate and construction industry is just by far the largest one to, to really pull a thread on. You can see now why Greg got the role. His impressive background working with some of the most advanced companies in the world has given him a front row seat to how to use technology to change industries for the better. Here he talks a bit about what he calls the Elon Mindset. I reported for many years into Elon, so I will say I'm very uh, biased into the Elon mindset of sustainability. And here's the Elon mindset of sustainability, which is if you have a very high impactful product, that doesn't matter if nobody buys the product, right? Um, so the reason why Tesla has been able to single-handedly move basically the entire uh, transportation industry towards electrification is because Tesla has fantastic products and they were eating, you know, BMW and Mercedes-Benz's lunch, right? So you actually have to look at these things as hand in hand. You need a good financial business model in order to actually drive impact. And you also need each unit of your product to be good for the planet. You kind of need both of those things hand in hand. But you could have the best product in the world when it comes to goodness for the planet. But if no one goes and buys it and implements it, then your overall uh, impact on the world is going to be negligible, right? So you really have to think of it as impact per unit times by number of units that you can sell. Um, and so I, I think it's very difficult to actually extricate these two concepts. You have to have a good product that people want to buy and therefore a good business in order to actually have sizable impact on the world. And so they go hand in hand. Elon Musk has been able to create an incredible impact on the industries he works in by inspiring people with highly futuristic tech. The reason for this is that in order to meet our sustainability goals in time to avoid destructive consequences, we need tech that doesn't exist yet. When it comes to greening the property industry, Greg thinks it will take this kind of thinking as well. Yeah, so I like to think of this as sort of two, two broad buckets. There are what I like to call um, boring climate tech technologies, and then there are sci-fi or sexy climate tech um, opportunities. And the boring stuff is actually a lot of technology that maybe exists, has very little science risk, and really just need some uh, money to scale it up and get distribution and manufacturing and sales out there. Um, because these products make fantastic sense from a CapEx payback perspective. Because at the end of the day, if you have a more efficient product, um, or maybe it's, it's renewable power and your cost of creating power is, is extremely low, right? A lot of these technologies just are better to own and operate from a CapEx perspective or an OpEx perspective. So think of, think of these technologies here as maybe high-efficiency motors, um, better windows, better insulation, things like that, where 
the customer who is buying them doesn't actually need to care about the environment. They just make sense from a sort of fundamental dollars and cents point of view. Um, and there are lots of these sorts of technologies. But then if you take all of those low-hanging fruit, boring technologies and put them together, which we should go and invest in them and make sure people can buy and install them as rapidly as possible. But if you put them all together, they only solve about 50% of the total CO2 problem in buildings. Um, so this also means that for roughly every dollar that we're putting into those sorts of companies, we also need to be putting a dollar into more science fiction-y things, which are going to solve the other half of the problem. And here, think of stuff that probably needs to bake for a while. Well, it probably took a decade to get it out of the lab, but here we're talking about new types of concrete, new types of steel, new types of glass, um, uh, new energy storage and clean and renewable energy systems, things like that. There is no shortage of exciting, cutting-edge technologies that are being used to help the property industry go green. But Greg also thinks that we can't ignore the unsexy stuff, which can help properties become more efficient with very little technology at all. You've actually got to kind of split this out, right? So we would love that new buildings that are going up that you were going to build in any case, right? Those should be going up with, with uh, minimal carbon impacts. And that's where we think about a lot of those things like new types of concrete, new types of steel. But we can't get around the fact that we've got a $270 trillion legacy building problem, right, of all of these existing buildings. Um, but I think you would kind of be shocked at how low some of the low-hanging fruit is. I'll give you a good example. In the Northeast, I don't know if you've ever, ever lived in you know, Boston or, or New York or anything like that. A lot of the multifamily houses there, uh, the multifamilies um, uh, were built you know, 100 years ago. They have big steam heaters that are running on uh, fuel oil in the basement, super dirty. And then the crazy thing is that those steam radiators in all of the rooms were sized to spec so that after the 1918 pandemic, they would heat up the room whilst you had the windows open in the middle of winter because they wanted people to have ventilation, but they also wanted them to not freeze to death. So you've got just massively inefficient buildings um, that are spewing CO2 out, uh, out uh, into the world, right? Um, there is such low-hanging fruit around things as simple as decrease the size of those radiators, better cork the windows, put a little bit of think pink into the ceiling, right? Um, I think people underestimate how much you can actually do with some very, very non-tech, non-sci-fi sort of solutions here. Um, and every little bit helps. Most companies invest in sustainability in order to appeal to their consumers. But this isn't the case for real estate. While many of us do care about the impact of our consumption, we often don't know about the energy usage of our buildings. This creates an agency issue that has held buildings back from the market forces pushing most industries to adopt sustainable practices. But now those same forces are starting to affect the property industry, only they are coming from investors rather than the end users. The true sources of capital, so think of the pension funds around the world, the sovereign wealth funds, all of that most of our real estate developers and owners are getting all of their capital from, um, they have made pledges that they're only going to invest in, in green projects and green companies. And what this means now is that the cost of green buildings is decreasing whilst the cost of capital for quote-unquote dirty buildings is increasing. And if you know anything about the real estate industry, right, it's a heavily cost of capital driven business. You know, a couple of bips on a billion dollar building times by 50 years of mortgage is a lot of money. 
Um, and that delta is large. I always thought it wasn't actually that big, but what's really changed in the last year and a half is that the delta on the cost of capital for a green building versus dirty one is getting very material. So last year, it was about 50 bips, right? Half a percentage point. And to my previous point, right? 50 bips times by 50 year mortgage times by billion dollars equals lots of money. That flows straight through to your asset values. Then if you also realize that clean buildings are cheaper to operate and cheaper to insure, and you can get higher quality tenants into them because all of the tenants have signed um, climate pledges, right? You start to realize that at the fundamentals of how the real estate industry operates, which is we want to charge more rent, uh, spend less on operating uh, buildings and spend less on interest. Those are literally the three levers that clean and climate tech and green building stuff gets at, right? So this is about as close to fundamentally improving the economics of the real estate industry as you could ever get in any overall thesis. And most of our corporate partners are really waking up to that fact pretty, pretty rapidly. Here we see an example of where doing good is also a good investment decision. As much as we might all want a carbon neutral world, the only way to get there is by making it a profitable endeavor to do so. The property industry will have to invest in order to transform itself to better meet our needs. In the short term, this might seem like a loss for those that have to fit the bill. But if you step back and look at what is gained from these investments, both in terms of dollars saved and degrees of Celsius avoided, these investments look a lot more like an opportunity of a lifetime. This episode is brought to you by Prescriptive Data. Prescriptive Data is a smart building company focused on integrated building data and sustainability. Learn more about Prescriptive Data and their building and portfolio operating system, Nantum OS, at www.prescriptivedata.io. That's P-R-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-V-E data.io.